Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. So much to go over today from the last ride, episode one, to Money in the Bank, the full pay-per-view, the match on the roof, wrestling Twitter going wild on some comedian. This is not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. As if there was ever a reason to doubt me, Scoops does it again. Don't bother with any other journalist. Don't bother with any other dirt sheet. Don't bother with any other podcast. Don't bother with any other writer. Don't bother with any other website. Don't even bother watching the show anymore. Because hack wrestling journalist, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Scoops Roberts, is going to give you the scoop every single time. Because that's what hack wrestling journalists do. And that's what I did once again. I am so blessed and so lucky to be living in a time where I have as many opportunities as I do to put my opinion on the record. Go ahead. It's all on tape. You can review it all you want. Go back to last week. I don't exactly remember what I said on the Monday podcast. I put out a lot of content, but I do know that I made a compelling case last Wednesday on the Wade Keller podcast for Otis to be the winner of the Money in the Bank. I know that on the podcast that I did exclusively for the Not Sam Shills on Patreon, Thursday, Not Sam Thursday, I put Otis down as my pick and explained why. And as if there was any going to be any sort of doubt or anybody that didn't hear that, I posted a video to social media. On Sunday morning, explaining my thoughts exactly and once again reiterating that Otis was my pick to win the men's money in the bank. I had a a Zoom party for the upper tier, not Sam Shills. And I said there, Otis was going to be my pick to win money in the bank over and over and over and over again on the record. You didn't even have to watch the show because obviously who's coming home with the briefcase? Who is going to be Mr. Money in the Bank come Monday morning? You, I could have told you last Monday. You could have told all your friends last week. Don't worry about it. Uh, I'm worried. I'm going to miss the Jordan documentary. I want to watch The Last Dance. You, But I got to know who's going to win money in the bank. It's Otis. Roberts already told us. You mean Sam Roberts? No. I mean Scoops Roberts. The last professional broadcaster? I guess. But hack wrestling journalist. Scoops Roberts. Sam Roberts. The last professional broadcaster. Nails it again. Knocks it out of the park. At this point, the WWE is going to come to me and they're going to say, who's talking to you, Sam? Who's giving you all these scoops? 
And I go, first of all, if you're going to come to me with that kind of attitude, you call me by my name. My name is Scoops. And I am a hack wrestling journalist, okay? I will never give up my sources. Even if my sources are just making it up and being right sometimes. I will never give up my sources because I'm a real hack wrestling journalist. I am Scoops Roberts. Nailed it again. I'm sitting there. I'm watching AJ Styles and Baron Corbin duke it out on top of a ladder after AJ Styles has been scared by the ghost of The Undertaker's past and Baron Corbin has already committed a double homicide. I said, one of these two guys is going to walk home with a briefcase, right? And then a voice came to me and that voice said, Scoops, never doubt yourself. Scoops, you rub off on people. You know what happened when your buddy Kaz was in your presence, when Kazim was on this podcast. What did you guys say, Scoops? You guys said, do a spot in Vince's office with the dinosaur skull. Scoops, you did it again, buddy. You did it again. Don't doubt yourself, that voice said. Don't doubt yourself. Be sure. Be proud. Be Scoops. And I said, you know what? That voice is right. I don't even know where he's at right now. The briefcase is already unhooked. There's two guys that are that are fighting over it. Neither one of them are Otis. Otis is still my pick until that bell rings. And boom, the bell rings. And what happens right before the bell rings? That briefcase is in the hands of young Otis. I think Otis was the right pick. I saw some people on Twitter going, Otis, Asuka. Yeah, Otis and Asuka. The money in the bank is finally returning to its glory. Asuka is somebody that you look at and you go, she's going to be great, but never women's champion again. She ain't beating Becky. Probably not coming to SmackDown. Asuka's not going to be women's champion. You look at Otis and you go, ha, he's a comedy act. Just not world champion potential in that guy. Those are the people you want winning money in the bank. Because those are the people that make money in the bank interesting. Those are the people that make the briefcase being in play actually something worth talking about. Those are the people, when you're sitting here going like, okay, you have an instant problem between Shayna and Becky. Still from WrestleMania. Carry over. You got Nia Jax who's there to dominate the women's division. Asuka is an afterthought at this point. Plus, Becky's already beaten her. There's no story there, right? So... Asuka's got no shot. And then, boom, smacked you right in the face. Talking like the crazy person that she is. Jumping off the second floor uh, uh, balcony. Which, by the way, I mean, if Asuka was able to start on the second floor, I don't know why she jumped from the second floor to the first floor. If I'm Asuka and I've somehow snuck my way to the second floor before the match even starts, I'm not jumping off that balcony. I'm jumping back over it. I'm taking the elevator up because you've got a one-floor advantage. I'm heading right for the roof. Nobody's going to catch me there. But Asuka's nuts. Asuka's unpredictable. Asuka's yelling in Japanese every chance she gets. Asuka's been very entertaining in this time period that we're in. So is Otis. Look, you've got one act that's been very, very entertaining on Monday Night Raw every time she's come to the plate during this pandemic that we're in. We're looking at how wrestling works without an audience. And who has prospered the most? Who has succeeded in this environment? Asuka has without a doubt succeeded in this environment. When she's on Raw, she entertains. 
She's interesting. I'm watching. Whether it's in a match and the believability of that match taking place, or whether it's a promo and she's yelling in the ring, or whether she's on commentary, Asuka has been a success time and time again on Monday Night Raw in a time where other people haven't. Otis, on the other hand, there were two moments, and I said this before Money in the Bank, that's how Scoops got the answer right again. There were two moments at WrestleMania other than the Firefly Funhouse match and the Boneyard match where you left that going, oh my God, that would have lit a stadium on fire. One was the obvious, Drew McIntyre winning the WWE Championship from Brock Lesnar. Yep, people would have gone nuts for it. But the second moment, Otis and Mandy finally coming together. You know, people say that Vince is stuck in his ways, but anybody that doesn't see the potential of Otis is stuck in their own ways. Anybody that doesn't see that Otis has the potential to make an incredible impact is probably not a fat guy with a beard and doesn't listen to fat guys with beards. Because let me tell you something. Fat guys with beards love Otis. Love him. He is strong enough as a character that he's reinvented the entire prototype of what Mandy Rose should be. Nothing about Mandy Rose should be a babyface. She's too hot. She's too full of herself. She's God's gift. You know why she's a baby face? Because she ended up with the guy who shouldn't have gotten the girl. She ended up with America's sweetheart. She ended up with Otis. She ended up with him. And I don't know where Tucky is right now. I know he's somewhere celebrating. Probably got a big old steak sandwich or something like that. Steaks and weights, baby. But I mean, it's so great. Otis had all the uh, Otis had the spot with the lifting of the weight. Otis had the food fight spot. Otis was great. Otis succeeds. That's what Otis does. And you look at the moment he had at WrestleMania, and you look at what's come after WrestleMania, and you could sit there and you go, "Yeah, well, you know, the ratings say that uh, the Otis segment on SmackDown did not perform well." Okay, Mister Ratings Guy, are you a wrestling fan or a, or a Ratings reporter. Don't talk to me about TV ratings unless you're in that business. Because while you could say that Otis's main event on SmackDown didn't get the rating that it should have gotten. Yeah, because it was a match we just saw two weeks ago with Dolph Ziggler with far less implications. Well, it's a Money in the Bank qualifier. We all knew Otis was going to win. What? Of course. That story had already come to a conclusion. I mean, the Sonya Mandy story hasn't yet. But the 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 Otis Dolph, I mean, what, what else is there to talk about? Otis beat Dolph. Otis got the girl. Move on. So that, I'm sure, in my opinion, has just as much to do with any, any lack of interest in that match than a lack of interest in Otis. I don't think there's any lack of interest in Otis. I think Otis has been on TV doing entertaining stuff. You know, we talk on this podcast a lot about how things have to change. As, as presentation changes because of the way our society has changed, that wrestling has to change, that you can't just go back to the tried and true formula, that you need to rely on people that can entertain. There need to be less matches. It's not about wrestling anymore. And Otis and Oscar are both people who will succeed and have been succeeding. 
in this new, new world, in this brave, brave new world. Now let's talk about it. Let's talk about money in the bank. Let's talk about the match itself. Let's let's talk about the match itself before we get into the uh, entire uh, pay-per-view. Um, the... I thought it was fantastic. I, 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 I found myself as a wrestling fan who has seen it all. I mean, I have watched so many hours of professional wrestling in my life. And if I can do two things at once when wrestling's on, I will. Keep in mind, I do a morning radio show every single morning. So while pay-per-views are on, while Raw is on, while NXT is on, I'm also in my going through news and making notes and figuring out a show plan for the next day. SmackDown's on on Friday, right? Yeah, but I do Lonely Friday Nights. I do Sam Roberts Now YouTube show after SmackDown every week. So if SmackDown's on, I'm preparing notes for my YouTube show. Tonight, I got no notes for my radio show tomorrow morning just yet. And I'm recording this on Sunday night, obviously. I got no notes for my radio show because I was too interested in what was going on in this ladder match. I've got to tell you one thing. Pay-per-view went about two hours, 25 minutes. I think just under two hours and 30 minutes, which to me is a great move. I think they could do, okay, I think they could do a 30-minute pre-show in the situation that they're in. But part of the reason I think they could do a 30-minute pre-show is because I wasn't on it. If I was on the pre-show, I'd say do two hours pre-show. Give me a little more time to shine. But if I'm not on the pre-show, you could probably do a 30-minute pre-show and make the entire presentation three hours long. Uh, Start at 6.30. Do the pay-per-view at 7. You're done by 9.30. Sam can go do his podcast. Kids are in bed. Perfect. Bob's your uncle, baby. But to tell you the truth, I could have watched that Money in the Bank match a lot longer. I think the only negative, I mean, look, I'm not going to nitpick. If you want to nitpick, there were there were instances in the match where I was like, okay, even for me, that was a little cheesy. Okay, even in my state where I'm enjoying what's going on, that was that was that was a little cornball. There were cornball moments, sure, but that's nitpicking, and that's not I don't that's not constructive. Uh. In terms of negatives, uh, if you want them, I think the only negative that I took away from the match was that it didn't end with a bang. It ended with a huh. And I don't know if that's because of the presentation. I don't know if it's because of the lack of commentary throughout the match. And then I felt like the announcements of the winners kind of felt like a very low energy overdub. Like it didn't feel like the announced, like, it didn't feel like Michael Cole was in the building with the people. Um, because I actually thought Michael Cole and Corey Graves specifically did an excellent job in the tag team match. I thought there were a few matches where Michael Cole specifically did a good job of, main, of maintaining a certain energy and, and keeping me interested. I thought he did a really great job of that in the tag match. Uh, but I thought that the commentary announcements of the Oscar winner and the Otis winner felt like they were just kind of overdubs, which they probably were, um, and didn't feel like it was happening with the visual. Uh, and then, you know, I guess I, I, I could have had a little more celebration in the ring. I could have had a little more like, oh my God, it's Otis. And, and, 
And that's part of doing this without an audience, you know? I think that if you're doing this in front of an audience and that happens, the holy Toledo, Otis just won money in the bank moment is going to be experienced by fans. And the director is going to sit there going, don't cut yet, don't cut yet, don't cut yet, because you're going to feel that energy, you know? I think when you're pre-producing something like this, maybe it's not exactly the same thing. So I thought that they could have ended with a little bit more of a bang. Um, and I mean, after the match, I mean, just in the pomp and circumstance and the announcement, it just felt like it was like, okay, now it's over. You can t stay tuned for the Undertaker documentary. And it was like, okay. But other than that, I thought it was excellent. I, I, I started getting excited from the intros. I love seeing everybody come on, introduced one at a time. Men starting in the, in the gym, the women starting in the lobby. I think having the men and women wrestle simultaneously was the only way to do it. Um, I think that the novelty of doing the match in a building like that would have worn off if you had already done it once. Like if you had started the show with the women all over the building and you end the show with the men all over the building, uh, I think that's a lot of building. And I think that it also allows you to edit a little bit more creatively when you have now 12 people to jump in between, six potential different pairs as opposed to three pairs with only six people. Um, I'm really glad. I had heard a rumor that they were going to intersplice the match throughout the pay-per-view. And the way that the match was edited and shot, you could tell that that was a possibility. That could have been done. I'm really, really glad that that wasn't done. I'm really, really glad that we got a show that was two hours and it was wrestling in the Performance Center. And then after that, we went to the building to put on this show, this definition of what sports entertainment is. And I mean, I've got to tell you that with, with, with everything, the way this thing was produced, and if you didn't like it, that's cool. But this is what WWE does. That match was WWE in a nutshell. And I thought it was great. And that's why I love WWE so much. That's why I've always loved WWE. But that is what they do better than anybody else in the world. Nobody, nobody could produce a product like that better than they could. I thought it was terrific. And that's why I think more of that stuff needs to be on their TV on a regular basis. Not to that extent, not that long, not with that much detail, but just in vignettes and stuff like that. So I love the entrances starting out in two separate areas. Uh, you know, the men in the gym, I, Asuka jumping off the thing was great. Uh, Shayna, I think it was. No, Asuka running to the elevator. And the rest of them, like, chasing after her. I'll tell you what edit I loved was coming out of that Money in the Bank Conference Center when Carmella, like, moonwalks out of there and Lacey Evans just comes out of nowhere and punches her in the throat, catches her with a woman's right in the throat. Wild. Baron Corbin was on one tonight. Baron Corbin was on a totally different wavelength. I don't know what Baron Corbin was thinking. I mean, Baron Corbin goes from being in the gym and being freaked out that he broke the mirror. Like he looked like he was really worried that he had broken the mirror. And I don't know if that means because he's worried. I, I kind of hope that they play in that Baron Corbin is an athlete. He was football before he was a wrestler. He was a football. He was a physical football. He got thrown around a field. 
He played football before he was a wrestler. I, I, I kind of like the idea of him being, uh, you know, afraid of bad luck and worried that when he broke the mirror, it brought seven years of bad luck. And then, you know, Elias coming out at the end and interfering in the whole thing. Who invited Elias to? I mean, it's one thing for him to be in the in the arena, but for him to go all the way to the WWE corporate towers. But Baron Corbin, so he gets freaked out when he breaks the mirror. He goes through the building. He's a part of the food fight. He does this. He does that. Then he goes up to the roof, and he tries to stop Asuka from winning the women's Money in the Bank briefcase. I don't know if he was wanted the women's Money in the Bank briefcase. I don't know if he was confused. I don't know if he thought that people only, like there's only one ladder and, you know, whoever wins the briefcase just wins it and the other person's not going to be able to use it. I don't know what he was thinking. But Asuka kicks him away. There should never have been a confrontation. They could have shared the ladder. The two, it was we didn't have two rings like I envisioned. We had one ring. Two briefcases hung right next to each other. He could have just climbed up at the same time as Asuka. They could have both grabbed those briefcases. But no. He goes up to interfere. Then he murders Rey Mysterio and Aleister Black. Aleister Black was my pick to win the whole thing. I did not think that Baron Corbin was going to commit a double homicide on this show. He chucked them both off the roof. And they seemed to hit the ground lightning quick based on those sound effects. But I was like, and, 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 and nothing. You'd think the referee would be panicking or something. The referees were just like, yep, okay, well, those two aren't in the match anymore. They just got thrown off a uh, tower. You know, if you get thrown off the roof of my house, you might not die, but you get hurt pretty bad. But nobody would ever refer to my house as a tower because it's not that tall. It's just a house. Think about tall buildings, so tall you would call them a tower, is you will die if you get thrown off the top of them. So I'm very anxious to tuning into Raw tonight to find out if Rey Mysterio and Aleister Black are still with us. I'm happy that AJ Styles didn't get thrown off the building, and we don't, for AJ Styles' sake, that we don't have to go through the many deaths of AJ Styles every single time. But then, so Baron Corbin... For, but that's what I'm. I, that's why I'm trying to figure out the mirror thing. For somebody that was so worried about breaking a mirror, to not be worried about committing a double homicide, because he wants a WWE Championship opportunity so badly. I don't understand his logic tonight. I don't understand his logic. He thinks breaking a mirror is worse than a double homicide, and he wants to stop Oscar because he wants the women's Money in the Bank briefcase. I don't understand where Baron Corbin was coming from. But clearly he didn't have his head on straight tonight. Left him vulnerable. Here comes Elias. Smash. Briefcase falls out of his hand as he's fighting with AJ Styles. Boom. Otis is there to catch it. Love the line. Yo, Mandy, I did it. So funny. So great. Loved it. It almost gives me flashbacks to Mick Foley, Mankind, when he was given the hardcore championship. And he called Mr. McMahon dad. It's that kind of character. I love, and by the way, in my mind, I don't know if this is true, but in my mind, I believe that the reason that Otis doesn't wear a singlet anymore is because Vince McMahon thinks it's funny when he's in tiny little tights. But if that's the case, Vince McMahon is 100% right. 
because it is hilarious that Otis wears those tiny little tights. I think they're great. So, I don't know where Baron Corbin was coming from. I loved the uh, the brother love cameo. I'm not 100% sure why Ray, I think it was Ray, stopped in the bathroom. I guess you just want to know who was in there. But I love that Brother Love was in there. I thought the the Paul Heyman cameo was hilarious. Uh, going into a food fight. I was sitting there going like, this office is closed. The McMahons are in there. Brother Love is in there because I feel like Brother Love has just been in the bathroom since 1990. <coughs> Excuse me. Allergies. But other than that, you know, janitor was in there, obviously making sure everything was tidy. Dana Brooke just falls and smashes her head on the floor. By the way, I don't know what Dana Brooke was thinking either. Going for a, they said how many times that the Money in the Bank briefcase was on the roof. Not only does she take the wrong briefcase like she's our truth, but she slips and falls on the floor. I don't think Dana Brooke mentally was fully prepared for tonight's competition. Um, but yeah, the uh, the brother love cameo. I loved, loved the thing in in Mr. McMahon's office. Loved it. Um, seeing Mr. McMahon in Sunday casual, not wearing a suit, I thought that added to the idea of that it really did feel like this was just. It didn't feel like Mr. McMahon. It felt like this is Vince McMahon on a Sunday in his office. It felt like Vince McMahon is just in his office working on a Sunday at 9 o'clock at night. Because, of course, Vince McMahon is working in his office on a Sunday at 9 o'clock at night. That was not the Mr. McMahon character that we saw. I believe that this is one of the first times that Vince McMahon has been a character on television. We've seen Vince McMahon, the commentator. We've seen Mr. McMahon. But unless it's some something to announce to the audience that's very, very serious. We don't see Vince McMahon, the owner, as a character on television. And I think tonight we did. That was special for me. I liked it. Seeing the big skull. I mean, it logically made sense, too. We had our slapstick where AJ and, and Brian stopped fighting, and AJ wanted to push in the chairs. Then they left, and they were arguing. But I love the idea of the arguing being broken up by one of them punching the other in the face, because that's how it should happen, and that's how it did happen. But when you talk about employees, I wasn't 100% sure why that huge spread of food was laid out there. I didn't know why the kitchen was open for dessert. I love the implication that giant spread of food that could feed a dozen wrestlers was this just there to feed Paul Heyman. I thought that was very, very funny. Um, and I liked the idea that Otis threw the food at Paul Heyman, and people got worried. Aleister Black got worried. Rey Mysterio got worried, I believe. It was like you were looking around, and instead, that was not Paul Heyman, the advocate for Brock Lesnar, because nobody would be worried about throwing food at the advocate. That was Paul Heyman, executive director of Monday Night Raw, in Titan Tower, because that's where he works. And you just threw food at the booker. You just threw food at the guy with the pencil. That's what those faces told me. And I was like, I love this. This is, again, we're, we're in the most ridiculous, hokey entertainment aspect of the show. We're kind of 
breaking that fourth wall. We're crossing the line into reality where we're treating Paul Heyman and Vince McMahon as not their TV characters, but the people that they are when they are actually in that building that that match is taking place in. Uh, I thought it was funny that weird fake ring they have set up in the pinball room using it as an actual ring. I thought that was funny. I thought it was very interesting. Look, Undertaker Doc, and we'll talk all about the Undertaker Doc in a few minutes. Undertaker is a big part of conversation. Theoretically, the last ride is about the Undertaker ending his career or attempting to end his career. We got five episodes of it. One would believe that if this documentary is about the Undertaker's career coming to an end, that the documentary would end with the last ride with the Boneyard match, and that would be the end of the Undertaker. And I, I and if if AJ just looked at the photo and got scared, just looked at the Undertaker photo and got scared by it, I would say, okay, that could be foreshadowing that the Undertaker story is not over, or that could just be that he's still freaked out by that match. But when he went into that room and there was purple lights and a coffin and everything, the Undertaker AJ Styles story is not over. I believe the Undertaker wants to end his career in a wrestling ring, and he wants to have a real match with AJ Styles. I think we're going to see it. At some point, I think we're going to see it, and I think that's what was being hinted at uh, in that Money in the Bank match. Uh, I did, you know, speaking of Otis and his tights, uh, Daniel Bryan, I thought it's one thing if you're Corbin and you have long long tights and your and your tank top on and everything, your singlet top, but like, even AJ Styles, but Daniel Bryan and Otis just wearing trunks in the middle of that office building looked hilarious to me. It was so ridiculous that they wore trunks and Bryan was wearing kick pads and all this stuff. Just so funny. So ridiculous. Um, I do think that there was a goal to make executives messy, like, to pour food all over Paul Heyman, and then for no reason whatsoever, find a spot for John Laurinaitis to say people power just to throw a pie in his face. Hilarious. Look, here's the thing. I think that the WWE was strategic about the areas of the building that they shot in. I think they were strategic about what they shot. I think they were very, very smart. I think they did not overextend themselves in any way, shape, or form for this thing. I think they didn't allow it to go on long enough for people to get tired of it. But all that said, I could have watched at least another 15 minutes going through that building and having little Easter eggs pop up the entire way. I did not leave that match thinking, okay, I got enough. I could have easily watched more. In my opinion, they are three for three with cinematic matches. And I hope, I hope, that these cinematic matches are the takeaway from this era, that this is how people remember WWE in the middle of this quarantine. Because I think it's, it's, it's absolutely the best stuff that's happened since then. And I sit there going, as much as I don't love empty arena wrestling, and as much as the TV shows become difficult to watch when there's no audience and there's a ton of wrestling on it, I am so glad that these matches exist. I am so glad that this year's Money in the Bank match 
exists. Hey guys, if we get to interrupt for a brief second, you know, there was a time where you were always ready to go. And now more than ever, you have to be always ready to go. If you're stuck at home with your partner and they expect you to physically be ready to satisfy them at all hours of the day, because let's be honest, hours of the day don't mean anything anymore. 3 a.m. is the new 3 p.m. That's what everybody's saying. Who can keep track? And that means that at any point, your partner may ask you to satisfy them physically. And that means that your body has to be ready to go. And look, sometimes your body is not ready to go, and that's going to affect your, 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 your confidence in yourself. And when your confidence in yourself goes down, that's going to reflect on you physically, and you're never going to be ready to go. How do you, how do you cure that? How do you get your confidence back? How do you get your body to respond physically the way you want it to respond? And how do you do it way faster than a pill would work? I'll tell you right now. It's Blue Chew, of course. Blue Chew! Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. That means if you need a boner right now, today, immediately... Blue Chew is going to be there for you. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians. You don't have to go to a doctor's office. You don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. You don't have to see a single person. They ship it right to your door in a discreet package. Your mailman is never going to know what he just slipped into your slot. But I'll tell you who will know what you slipped into their slot. Your partner. You get what I'm saying here. I don't want to be vulgar. I don't want to be crass. But it's made in the USA. It ships direct and it's cheaper than a pharmacy. Best of all, there's no more awkwardness. Right now, you're not going to be able to turn this down, okay? Right now, I got a special deal. You can try Blue Chew for free just for listening. BlueChew.com is the place you go. You get your first shipment free when you use our promo code ROBERTS, R-O-B-E-R-T-S. All you do is pay the $5 for shipping. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code ROBERTS. To try it for free, Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. I, I, I just, I think it's, I, I, I think it's great, and we wouldn't have it otherwise. If not for the situation that we're in, we wouldn't have it. You know, so I just think that, uh, I just think that we could, we could be happy about it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um. You know, I thought that uh, I thought the stuff got creative. Carmella taking that power bomb onto the table looked pretty brutal. Dana Brooke getting that picture smashed over her head. I enjoyed that. Thought that was funny. Thought it was good. I thought they did a very good job putting that together. That had to be extremely difficult to pull off. And that's probably another reason why it was short. I mean, I don't want to say short, but why it wasn't longer. Is because, I mean, they're literally filming a movie in an office building. I can't, that that match that we saw tonight probably took hours and hours and hours to shoot. There was a lot of editing going on. But I think the people who produced that should be proud of themselves because I was, I was entertained. I enjoyed myself. Did I sit there and say, this is the best wrestling? No, of course not. It's the best sports entertainment. I was entertained. I sat there watching the show and enjoyed myself. And that's the whole point of all this. You know, I thought the I thought the pay-per-view in general was decent. Um, you know, clearly people were tuning in for this moment, but 
I, I thought that a couple things were helped by this pay-per-view. I thought that uh, the story of Drew McIntyre and the rise of Drew was moved forward, for sure. And I thought that they did some good storytelling between uh, Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman, as far as that's moving forward. Let's go from the top of the show. Um, I actually enjoyed the tag match a lot. I think they did a really good job with the tag match. Um, I still think the Forgotten Sons need some time and uh, a little TLC. I think the Forgotten Sons need some time and effort put into them for people to really identify with who they are, you know, aside from being veterans and, and their past and everything. I don't know that they came through as strongly as they could have, but I think... Uh, I think Big E is really being made into a star all of a sudden. I think I, I think there were a lot of moments in that match that were designed to make Big E look powerful. I I would not be surprised if a year from now or less, this is how what a wild time we're in right now. This is so possible, and you can get there in a very few amount of steps. I wouldn't be surprised. If in the not-so-distant future, you saw a universal championship rivalry between Otis and Big E, wouldn't shock me. I think Big E potentially could be an amazing strongman bad guy that could evolve into an even stronger strongman good guy. You know, I, I think that Big E really was made to look powerful in that tag match tonight. Um, I think the Lucha House Party, it does them a world of good when they're given some time and given opportunity to show off what they can do. Because I thought both of those teams came across much better tonight. And I'm so glad for a second when uh, when Morrison hit his Starship Pain, I was like, oh, no, are they switching the titles back to Miz and Morrison? That was such a waste of a title run from the New Day. But they did not. I was happy about that. The interference stopped it. Uh, New Day retained, but I think the benefits of that situation are Big E looks stronger than ever, and it was good to see the Lucha House Party get a little bit of love. Um, I was confused about the R-Truth MVP match happening. First, I thought it was going to be uh, uh, on the kickoff show along with the Jeff Hardy-Cesaro match, and when it wasn't, I was like, that's a really odd match. That's odd. That's what I said. I was like, R-Truth versus MVP? That's odd. And Truth said, you know what? I said, what, Truth? He said, that's odd. I said, that's odd, Truth. It all made sense when it was all just really a push for Bobby Lashley. Um, and I like the idea of Bobby Lashley getting pushed strong. You know, I think they're they're slowly getting away from the Lana thing, which is good. And they're gonna... Bobby Lashley should be a top bad guy. You know, I, I think that even sooner than we'll see Big E versus Otis, I think that very soon we'll end up, and I mean, it could even be on Raw. I think Bobby Lashley is going to be positioned to be one of the next big opponents for Drew McIntyre. I think Randy's on that list, but I think Bobby Lashley is certainly, I think Jinder is actually on the list too, but I think Bobby Lashley is being groomed to very quickly become um, a real threat to Drew McIntyre's title run. Uh, Bailey versus Tamina was what it was. I thought the finish was a, kind of a mess, and and it was. I mean, I I guess it it told more of the story between 
Bailey and Sasha and their eventual turn, one of them turning on the other, but it's, somebody's got to turn on somebody soon because it's taking forever. Uh, Tamina did look great, though. You know, it's a big, big spot to, to, a big spotlight to put on Tamina, which is good for Tamina. You know, I don't know if it'll lead to anywhere, but it's good. Uh, but ultimately, you know, a couple of people got further along, but this was about the two world title matches and about the Money in the Bank match. So let's get into Bray and Braun since that came next. Uh, first of all, I think in a time when nobody can go to a gym, Bray Wyatt has not missed one powerlifting workout. That dude is huge. Have you seen how wide his shoulders are? He keeps getting wider and wider and bigger and bigger. When he lays down on to on Braun Strowman or when he locks up with Braun Strowman, Braun Strowman usually dwarfs the guy that he's locking up with. The muscle man dance is no joke as far as Bray Wyatt goes. That dude, he built mass in his younger years. And that mass is filling out. I mean, that guy looks like he could pull a truck across a state. Bray Wyatt is enormous. Enormous. I His shoulders, from one shoulder to the other, have got to be as long as I am. 5'10". 5 feet and 10 inches from one shoulder to the next. It's amazing to see. Um... I, I thought the story was good. You know, I thought that it 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 certainly has me interested in where it's going. Um, I wonder if The Fiend is going to come back. I still think that the move is to have Bray get Braun on his side. I don't think that Braun Strowman is your top babyface guy. And I think that having 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 Braun on Bray's side eventually will be good. And then after that, you could have Braun turn on Bray and be a good guy again. But, you know, I, I think that there is this moment of, you notice his nipple rings weren't in, Braun Strowman? He didn't have his nipple piercings in when he ripped off his shirt tonight. I don't know if that's something I should be noticing or not, but it is something that I noticed. Um, I really do think that uh, Braun will end up with him. Uh, question is when and how, and does the fiend come out? Clearly, he beat Bray Wyatt fair and square, but Bray Wyatt, in the way he was talking to Braun Strowman, he was talking to him like he was doing the fiend's bidding. So, does the fiend now have to come out and take care of what Bray Wyatt could not? Probably. You know, I would say that that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty likely scenario. But between now and Backlash, which is the next pay-per-view, I want to know how you figure out... You got to figure out something for Backlash where we've got some kind of match. If you're... You can't do a pay-per-view now where it's just a bunch of matches at the Performance Center. You need... You got to put some sizzle on our stake, WWE. It's got to happen now. Unfortunately, that's the situation that you're in. We got to figure out whether it's a street fight or something that 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 puts us in a position where we're like, okay, even if it's a bunch of empty arena wrestling, we still got this. We still got a match in a boneyard. We still got a match in Titan Towers. We still got a David Lynch, Insano production going on. Something. 
So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. And I don't think that you could do it with The Fiend again because it'll be compared to the John Cena one, and the John Cena one was just too much of a classic. Um, it's, it's a weird spot for Braun to be in because it almost makes it so you can't have typical matches. You know, by the way, Scoops did it again. I said on Wade Keller's podcast, he said, would you do like a Firefly Funhouse type match with Braun and Bray and blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, I would then go back to Wade's podcast. I give Wade Keller a plug. Go back to his podcast because Scoops did it again. I said on Wade's podcast, what I would do is I would do it like the vignette, like, like the promo leading up to WrestleMania between Cena and The Fiend, where Cena was interrupted by Bray's puppets in the audience. And then The Fiend was over on the perch and then The Fiend showed up in the ring, and then the lights went out. You know, editing was obviously done, and The Fiend's puppets uh, and sound effects and everything get added, but not full Firefly Funhouse. And that happened, to, that happened tonight, and I like that. I think that it's a good way to do it. But what ends up happening is you got Drew McIntyre, who's doing traditional title matches, where he's fighting a bad guy, and they're going for it. Uh, the Fiend... Doesn't allow for that. Bray Wyatt doesn't allow for that. So Braun Strowman, as long as he's in a rivalry with Bray Wyatt, cannot have those traditional tag team uh, 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 title defenses, which I don't think is going to add confidence into Braun as your universal champion. So that's something that I think they need to get through on SmackDown. Uh, and then the WWE Championship match, uh, best match on the show as far as a wrestling match goes. Incredible match. Seth Rollins, in my opinion, has gone from being the best guy on the roster to the most uh, underrated guy on the roster. Uh, people act like they don't remember that Seth Rollins is awesome. People act like Seth Rollins has missed a step, and he just hasn't. Whether it's character work, promo, or match, Seth Rollins is incredible. He's incredible every single time. Um, I'm sorry, if you would please afford me this interruption, there's a lot going on in Shillville right now. What's Shillville? Well, the Not Sam Shills are the Patreon contingent of Not Sam Wrestling listeners. First and foremost, the Patreon contingent over at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling don't have to deal with interruptions like this, and they get their shows early because every episode of Not Sam Wrestling gets posted ad-free and early at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. They also get an additional show every single week. Thursday, Not Sam Thursday comes out every Thursday, and it gets posted exclusively on Patreon. You get all that for less than a dollar a week to start over at Not Sam Wrestling, but there's so much that we offer. All the videos come out first. Watch me record the podcast live every single time from the Not Sam studio, exclusively on Patreon. We've got exclusive merchandise, T-shirts that you can only get if you subscribe to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Before Money in the Bank, I got to jump into a Zoom room and hang out with some of the upper-level Not Sam shills and just talk about what we thought was going to happen at the pay-per-view. So much going on. Such a good time. Everybody gets access to the Not Sam Wrestling Discord room where we're talking about all things Not Sam Wrestling as well as wrestling in general 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Get a taste of all of it right now. Become a Not Sam Shill today at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. You know, I guess that year of him being a good guy champion didn't do him any good because uh, it's taken a lot for people to forgive him for 
storylines that really weren't his fault anyway. But I thought the match was fantastic. I'm very glad that Seth has a new entrance. That it's not burn it down anymore. It's not that theme music that fans like. It's something completely different. I like going full full force with the Messiah thing where he's gone from wanting to be a locker room leader to just wanting to be a leader to people to wanting followers to being a Messiah to being the second coming of Jesus Christ himself. I mean, he looks like David Koresh all of a sudden. And I like that. I think that's the right that's the right space for him. I do think that the music is a little generic. It doesn't seem like you know, an artist, a, a musician was sitting there with Seth Rollins' character in mind. Remember that scene in Beyond the Mat where Jim Johnson is sitting there writing for Vader? Doom, 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 doom. Doom, 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 doom. It doesn't seem like that's how that theme was created for Seth Rollins. It doesn't seem like the CFO dollar sign was sitting there with all their friends shouting glorious, inspired by something. You know, it, it seems a little generic. I'd love for it to be spiced up a little bit, but still, I very much appreciated the new entrance and think that it's a good change, all in all. Um, as far as the end, you know, that was that was the big moment, the end of the match when Seth Rollins shook Drew's hand. I think that that, that happened because Seth is not your typical bad guy. You know, I, I think that, that Seth will be able to spin that in such a way where he's shaking Drew's hand but still feels some kind of superiority over Drew. I think that the rivalry is over, you know? I think that there's not—I don't I don't think we have room for a rematch there. I don't think there's any reason to have a rematch. Drew got a, a, a full-fledged, a, a clean victory over him. I mean, they're really going all the way with Drew. Clean victory over Brock, clean victory over Big Show, clean victory over Seth— they're not messing around with this guy. They are really going, okay, let's put the company on your back. Come hell or high water, whether, you know, whether we've got fans in the building or not, and they didn't plan for, for you know, us to be in the quarantine era when all this happened, but that's the era that we're in. What can you do? So they're still going to go for it, and Drew is still doing well. But they're clearly putting the company on this guy's back giving him victory after victory. And I think that's part of why Seth shook his hand because they want, even though Seth is not turning a good guy, it's still like Drew McIntyre impressed Seth and they want that message to translate to the audience. Um, I also think that Seth thinks that he's a good person. Don't forget that. The Seth character is not that whiny, ratty heel character that he was when he was with Triple H back in the day when he turned on the shield. This is a different Seth Rollins. This Seth Rollins truly thinks that he's a good guy. This Seth Rollins thinks that he's there to help people. This Seth Rollins thought that he was fighting Drew McIntyre to save Drew McIntyre. So I think that's part of it too. I think coming off of this, Seth has to be put in a new direction. Um, but I think he's still a villain. I think he's still a bad guy and I think he should be and I think he's good. I just think this was one of those things where Seth, pays his respect, it puts Drew McIntyre on a pedestal, it allows Seth to continue thinking that he's a good guy, and maybe he shook his hand for a, for a different reason than we all realized. That was my takeaway from it. Um, the other thing that happened yesterday on the w, as far as WWE programming goes is 
the launch of The Last Ride, the first episode of a five-part documentary series chronicling The Undertaker. So three days before WrestleMania 33 in Orlando. That's the WrestleMania where The Undertaker uh, had his match with Roman Reigns. Three days before then, The Undertaker allowed a camera crew to start following him around and interviewing him and, and talking about all this stuff on camera. The Undertaker is the most well-guarded character by the performer himself and by everybody around him uh, that there has ever been. To the point where even when there are internet reports about The Undertaker not being healthy, The Undertaker this, The Undertaker that, he's the one guy that I think people still take that news with a grain of salt. People still sit there and go like, yeah, that's what the internet says, but I don't know. The Undertaker's kind of immortal, no? Um, because people don't know the, the man. Even when he's on social media. At least he's not, you know... Mark Calloway, a.k.a. Undertaker, call my booker for blah, blah, blah. It's just The Undertaker on Twitter. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of The Undertaker being on Twitter. I'm probably in the camp. He did an interview with The Bump, and he said that uh, there were people saying that, they, that he ruined their childhood. He killed their childhood by joining Twitter. I don't know if he fully killed my childhood, but I also, you know, I want to believe that The Undertaker is real, and it makes that difficult when he's hanging out with Doc Antle and some tigers going like, hey, man, this is what I do in my free time with Michelle McCool. And I'm like, whoa, Undertaker. I don't need to know all that. But prepare to know all that because that's the era that we're in right now. Um, watching the first episode, I really think that the reason The Undertaker opened himself up and allowed himself to be filmed was because he thought WrestleMania 33 was his last match. It's so amazing. Watching this story, The Undertaker. So I think the greatest of all time is Shawn Michaels. My favorite of all time is The Undertaker. I think Shawn Michaels is probably the greatest wrestler of all time. But Ric Flair hit the nail on the head in the documentary when he said The Undertaker is the greatest character of all time. And he really is. And that doesn't happen by mistake, and that's not because he was written well. That's that's because of the performer. That's because of the person who portrayed the character. And there's two things about Mark Calloway that were huge takeaways for me. Number one, if you thought you knew The Undertaker was business first, you had no idea. I mean, The Undertaker is as business first as business first gets. And look, I'm a business first guy, okay? I almost missed the birth of my first son because my second ever WWE kickoff show was happening. And I was like, well, I can't miss this. And it was in Phoenix. And my wife was four days overdue at the time. That was the quickest trip to Phoenix anybody has ever made in their lives. But I wasn't going to blow the gig. The next child we had, my wife and I scheduled, I don't know how many of you know this, my wife and I scheduled the C-section of our second child around NXT TakeOver Portland. No, not even NXT TakeOver Portland. No, it wasn't. It was NXT TakeOver 25 in Connecticut. I remember because I didn't have to fly for it. 
But that's what we did. Because business first. And I had I took I take pride in that. I take pride in the fact that 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 I'm a provider. I want to leave it all on the table. Whatever I'm doing, if I'm with my family, they have me a hundred percent. If I'm doing business, they have me a hundred percent. I don't do anything. I have I don't have a dimmer in life. I have an on switch and an off switch, and that's it. Uh but the Undertaker takes it to a whole new level. I mean, the Undertaker's self-sacrifice, the Undertaker's dedication to the character and to wrestling and to performing and to wanting to do well. And that gets to my second takeaway. The first takeaway is this guy is so dedicated to the business that he will sacrifice everything that he is to make sure that it's a good performance. And that's true. And the reason that he's doing that is because he cares so much about the business that he knows it has to be a good performance. And that's true. But the other part of The Undertaker is that he's an artist and he's addicted to this thing. He's addicted to having a good performance. There's a thing about being on, on the radio where the beauty of it is, if you have a show that sucks, you feel it, but you can come back the next day and have a great show. And it'll be okay. But for some people, you can't relax until you have a good show under your belt. Luckily, there's always another show tomorrow. The Undertaker is one of these people. The Undertaker can't relax if his last performance was bad. And that's really difficult for somebody that only performs once a year. In the beginning of the documentary, he says, I can't work a full schedule anymore. There, I said it. And it's almost like, I would have sworn that at this point, The Undertaker must be like, well, yeah, of course, I'm not going to work a full schedule anymore. He wants, in that statement, it was clear to me, he wants to be working a full schedule. He doesn't want to stop. No part of him wants to stop. There is a battle going on between the mind and soul of that man, his heart and his body. His body won't let him work at the level that his mind and his heart and his soul want him to, even to this day. And I mean, you saw the preview for next week's episode. I can't wait for next week's episode when he's watching back his WrestleMania 33 docu uh, uh, match. And, you know, we as Undertaker fans, I mean, I remember when he botched that tombstone at WrestleMania 33. It hurt my soul. But I assumed that the Undertaker knows that he's the greatest. And if he goes out there and he botches a move, okay, that sucked. But luckily, I have one of the greatest careers in the history of wrestling to back me up. There's nothing I could do wrong at this point. But that couldn't be further from the truth. That botch seems like it bothered him more than it bothered me or any other Undertaker fan. And that's wild to me that he's thinking on that level, that it affects him that much. He wants the approval of the audience. You know, you watch The Undertaker perform, and he's he's way up here above us. We're looking at The Undertaker in hero worship. But the reality is, when you get to know this guy, Mark Calloway, he's looking at us going, please accept me. Please still like me. 
And that's mind-blowing to me. I'll tell you this. The Undertaker's insecurities certainly make me feel better about my insecurities. Because when I'm sitting there going like, oh my God, you know, why am I this insecure? And then I look at somebody like The Undertaker who's still feeling that. And I go, okay. All right. Well, maybe if, if The Undertaker has any insecurity whatsoever about any performance, then yeah, I should be insecure. Because I'm not playing on that level. Nobody is. There's only one Undertaker. You know, he goes into not only WrestleMania 33, but they they backtrack. They kind of start at the, the Shawn Michaels era. And he starts talking about how badly he was hurting. And that, you know, the Shawn Michaels matches killed him. He said he was hurting pretty bad after the Triple H matches. But he said he started to he started to catch a little bit of a second wind. He said uh, the WrestleMania 29 match, the CM Punk match was okay. Not bad. He said the second Triple H match was not bad. And then he goes to WrestleMania 30 and he fights Brock Lesnar. And the story, I, first of all, we all knew. I, I mean, most people knew he got concussed in that match. But listening to him explain... He didn't. He has no recollection of that day after 3.30 p.m. He doesn't remember the show starting. He doesn't remember getting dressed. He doesn't remember walking to the ring. He doesn't remember any aspect of the match whatsoever. He doesn't remember anybody reacting to it. He doesn't remember leaving the ring. He doesn't remember anything, which is the height of irony because it's the most memorable, for better or worse, it's the most memorable moment in the history of The Undertaker. Where were you when that happened? It's one of the most memorable moments in the history of wrestling. It's almost like he's blocked a trauma. It's almost like he's blocked it out, you know? But he said that they went to the hospital. And you'd always heard rumors that Vince McMahon had left WrestleMania to go to the hospital with The Undertaker. But it got confirmed. And then, and then his wife says that he didn't even remember his name until 4.30 in the morning that day. Or I guess technically the next day. Doctor would come in and he'd say, what's your name? And he'd whisper to his wife, what's my name again? He still had a good sense of humor. He was still doing okay. He just didn't remember his name. It's scary, man. It's really scary. But then you find out that when Daniel Bryan had his moment at WrestleMania 30, Vince wasn't there. Vince McMahon left. That's how much The Undertaker means to Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon left WrestleMania. You hear all these stories about Vince being work first. Vince McMahon left WrestleMania to go to the hospital and be with The Undertaker. And so did Brock Lesnar. I mean, you talk about a guy who never leaves character. The humanity in Brock Lesnar just in his story. He doesn't talk on it, but just knowing that Brock went to the hospital, I mean, it, 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 it puts more humanity into Brock Lesnar than has ever been put into Brock Lesnar in a public way, I think. Uh, the footage of Vince McMahon that you see in this Undertaker Last Ride documentary, unprecedented. We've never seen anything like it before. You know, I, I, I was really happy to be invited to uh, be a part of the Last Ride After Show. They're doing an after show on the WWE Network and WWE's social media. So you can go to WWE's YouTube channel. You can go to the network. Um, but the, I was the guest on the first uh, Undertaker Last Ride After Show. 
and you just got to sit there for 30 minutes and talk to Mac Hamp and Ryan from the bump about the undertaker and just have, you know, three fans just sitting there, not only talking about how important this guy was, but what a big deal this documentary is. And I mean, I got to tell you, it's probably going to make me sound goofy. I don't know if you guys realize what a big deal it is, but I remember being there, you know, WrestleMania 33 was my first WrestleMania with WWE. Um, and I talked about this a little on the after show, but an Undertaker entrance will take you out of anything. An Undertaker entrance, I will go into the audience. When I'm working at a show and the Undertaker is wrestling, I will leave the backstage area. I mean, at WrestleMania, I'm wearing a tux. In my tux, I'll be out on the arena floor to watch the Undertaker entrance. And it's just... You go right out of your head. My first WrestleMania, I was thinking all about, I don't want to suck. I was thinking all about, you know, I I want to be good here because the WWE has put so much faith into me. WWE has given me the biggest wrestling fan in the world, just a kid who grew up watching wrestling, the chance to be on the air with a WWE logo next to my name under it. They they are letting me hold a microphone with a WWE mic flag on it. That opportunity means more to me than you, I could ever verbalize to you guys. And in my head, and and that's why I don't want to suck, because I don't want to let people down that have given me that opportunity. And that's what I'm thinking about doing: not sucking, especially on that first show where it's only my third time doing stuff with the company, and I'm still kind of finding my footing. And even after it's over, it's still like you're you're kind of getting down off. I don't even know if it's the high, just this adrenaline rush that hits you. And it's all this emotion. And then you kind of get down off of it. But you're still there in a professional capacity. Going out there and seeing The Undertaker enter that building took me right out of professional capacity. I could have been wearing a tux. I could have been wearing an Undertaker t-shirt. I was right back to being a wrestling fan watching that man come down that ramp. Just amazing stuff. Amazing, amazing stuff. And to see that moment, when The Undertaker comes back, I'll remember, I, I, when The Undertaker came back and I was among the people that were clapping for him as he walked back uh, through, and I'll always remember being there, <laughs> But, I mean, I just happened to be in that spot. And I saw that The Undertaker was coming out, so I just stopped. And I think we all just stopped and just applauded him, you know, and told him what an amazing job he had done. But to, to see my dumb face in the mix, on that dock, in that moment when he's come through, I took, I mean, I'm blurry. Excuse me. <coughs> I'm blurry, but it doesn't matter. I, I'm, I'm, I took a freeze frame of it. I'm going to have it framed. Getting to be backstage clapping for The Undertaker after he performs at WrestleMania? Oh, my God. I can't believe it. The fact that The Last Ride was able to uh, uh, forever encapsulate that moment for me, oh, I can't get over how great that is.
but I can't get over how great the whole documentary is. Uh, and I would recommend any wrestling fan, if you haven't checked it out yet, check it out. Watch our after show after it, because it is so, so good. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. Um, I do, uh, yeah, see, Grim Reaper is talking about, uh, uh, he's in the Discord room right now. And he was talking about the, the Money in the Bank match and how it just kind of ended like the Sopranos and we didn't even get a chance to decompress it. That's why having this podcast is good, man. We get to decompress everything that we just saw. Um, you know, over the weekend, I was caught in a, in a, in a rivalry, in a war. Of course, on uh, Friday, a clip of comedian Tom Segura from your mom's house came out. And he was using the R word and uh, saying just terrible things about wrestling fans and how we're all so stupid and, and you know, you can't sit there talking about SmackDown. And I mean, he was just saying terrible things. And then there was another clip where he had reportedly apologized, but in reality, uh, he had just said that wrestling fans were not as dumb as flat earthers. <laughs> now, look, you don't have to love what he said, but he's, I mean, he's, he's being slightly absurd, I hope, in what he's saying. What I was shocked by was the amount of people that take what he says literally. I mean, if you think wrestling fans are stupid, you should see some of these comedy fans that are really sitting there. Anybody, anybody, if we're not joking, if we're not just like doing the funny ha-ha thing. And by the way, if you're like, well, it's not a joke because it's not funny. That, that, being not funny doesn't make it not a joke. Funny is subjective. I'm not even saying, I, I'm not saying whether it was funny or not, quite frankly. I'm saying it's a, it's a comedy podcast, right? So if you are, without attempting to be funny, haha, if you truly believe it is factual that there is any adult that watches wrestling and doesn't understand what they're watching, if you truly believe that anybody who's an adult watches wrestling and doesn't understand the concept of sports entertainment and predetermined results. That may be the truly dumbest take that I've ever heard. I mean, I was sitting there, I was, I was joking on my YouTube show and saying, you know, well, if Tom, Tom Segura might think wrestling fans are dumb, but I hope the flat earthers come after him. And by the way, how does Tom Segura even know that the earth is flat? He's not a scientist. He's joking. I don't think that the earth is flat. He's kidding. But the people who were making fun of wrestling fans for thinking that everything that they see in wrestling is real were watching my clip and going, you're an idiot, Sam, because now you think the earth is flat. And I go, so what I said, you think that's real? You think this fight between myself and Tom Segura, where we've now mentioned flat earthers twice, you think that that's a real fight, but you make fun of wrestling fans because they don't, under they don't understand fake fights. If anything, look, here's the deal. If anything, real wrestling fans understand 
choreographed fights more than anyone in the world. When you sit there and you tell me that reality show is scripted, I go, yeah, that's not a shock. When you sit there and you tell me, oh, these news networks are working together. It's kind of, it's, it's not all as, as it seems. It's not all real. I go, yeah, I know. You know why? Because I watch wrestling. I understand a work. It's all a work. You know why I understand it's a work? Because I watch wrestling. You think that people who don't watch wrestling can truly understand a work? Never, never. When I see a person and they go, wrestling is stupid and I don't watch it because it's fake. You might as well. You know what you turn into? It's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon where your head turns into a thing that says sucker. Because I know you are very workable. Very workable. If this is your true opinion, if you don't watch wrestling because you think it's stupid and fake and you think that people who do watch wrestling think that it's real competition, it's like, well, UFC and wrestling are the same. If you think, if that's your opinion, you, my friend, are the a mark by every definition of the word. And I love you for it. And I want to meet you because I'd love to work you for every last dollar you have. That's true. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate you being a part of Not Sam Wrestling as always. Don't forget to subscribe to us uh, uh, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a nice review, five-star rating, if you will. If you want even more content, if you want exclusive merch, go over to patreon.com slash Wrestling. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Wrestling. And we will see you next week right here on Not Sam Wrestling. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire.
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.